A little hidden history, a little pedagogy, a lot of ways we can improve our teaching and mindset so that our history and social studies classrooms tell a more complete, diverse human story. I'm Cheryl Ann Amendola, and this is the Teaching History Her Way podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Teaching History Her Way podcast. I am so very excited tonight. Tonight's guest is Rebecca Luker, and she's going to be talking to us about Native American history inclusion. If you've listened to my podcasts before, you know that I'm really passionate about this topic. So when she started talking to me about the things that she was doing in her classroom, I just got so excited. I thought everybody needed to hear about it. Rebecca Lubker is an enrolled citizen of the Cherokee Nation and is the social science chair at Haas Hall Academy in Fayetteville, Arkansas. She has been awarded the 2017 Gilder Lerman Arkansas History Teacher of the Year Award and was the 2019-2020 inaugural CSTA Equity Fellow. This past year, she was approved by the Arkansas Department of Education to teach the first ever high school class in Native American history and culture. Rebecca, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here um, and talking about this really important subject. So thank you so much. Could you tell our audience a little bit more about you and your teaching career? Yeah, so this is my 15th year teaching. Um, like many teachers, never expected to be a teacher. Went to college to be a political scientist um, and then discovered, discovered teaching and realizing how much can get accomplished in a classroom. And so uh, throughout, you know, I teach government, teach history, teach econ. So the social sciences, social studies um, are what I really love and enjoy and having those opportunities. That's so funny. I can't tell you, myself included, how many teachers have met me. You know, I wasn't planning on doing this, but now it's the best thing ever. So what prompted you to create and teach a class in Native American history and culture? It's um, been something that has been on my mind for at, probably ever since I began teaching, uh, which was 15 years ago. And this year, with everything that was going on and... I finally decided, you know, enough is enough. Um, seeing representation, seeing how history has been perceived, really kind of looking at my child, what was presented to her in Native American history um, in the middle school level and looking at, oh my goodness, um, a lot of past tense, uh, a lot of past tense terminology and looking at just like our own tribal experience and how it's taught in the classroom because um, most people know about the Trail of Tears, and it's like it happened, there were no more, and how we're here. And that's something that um, I really want to make sure that our students understand, our communities understand, that Native people are still here. And sometimes most people don't understand how we look, what we look like, um, and they don't realize how diverse our population is. So they just assume we all look like paintings from 1830 and that we walk amongst them wearing jeans, t-shirts, um, have blonde, some people have blonde hair, some, you know, um, and that, the diversity that's in Native America. Yeah, and that is so important. And I am guilty for many years of using past tense just because that's what I had always heard. This is something that's taught across the country from little kid to the to graduate student um stereotypes really take a strong hold on us as teachers and even the most well-intentioned teachers can sometimes get sucked into that 
Oh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely something um, I will say, because, uh, you know, like through Gilder Lerman, I did the Native American history course, you know, with Ned Blackhawk uh, a couple summers ago. And that was really, yeah, <laughs> it was really interesting to experience that with fellow teachers from around the country and like hearing what they were saying and hearing certain things that they were shocked in. You know, I, I remember one of the big things that a lot of the teachers were shocked in was the use of American Indian. Um, I know in my family, we use the terminology Indian a lot when we talk amongst ourselves and our like colloquialisms, because for us, it's known as Indian country. Like one of our big newspaper publications is called Indian country today. And I, I, I found it really interesting how shocked teachers were and the user like, oh, no, you should say Native American or you should say this. Um, and listening to him try to explain that it was really it was eye opening for me. Um, like in actuality to see how across the country, how it's perceived, because I'm across the border from Oklahoma. I'm like one, I live one county over from Cherokee Nation. And um, sometimes I, I don't realize there's a disconnect in what people understand. So that leads me to my next question. Lots of teachers have asked me and it's conversation that happens in my department and many social studies departments across the country about language and how to talk about native peoples in the classroom. And I know I addressed that in my previous podcast, but can you tell us or give us any advice on, on language, on terminology? Um, that one's like an interesting one. And that's actually an interesting conversation. I find whenever I meet with fellow indigenous people, like what do we say indigenous? Do we say native? Um, I will tell you what I, what I hear a lot from fellow natives and indigenous people is tribal recognition. Um, you know, something I would most like to prefer would be Cherokee. Um, but in the overall, um, you know, like native or indigenous, I find them pretty interchangeable. Um, I know some people prefer, and usually that's something I think that's really important is what's the preference. But if you can name it, you should always go with the tribal name. Like if you can name it, I think that's something that's really important because that's probably one of the biggest things I find when we talk about Native America is a recognition in this country, there are 574 federally recognized tribes. And even within Native America, like the kinships, um, the 574 different kinships that are federally recognized are a lot more that are still trying to get recognition um, or um, what does that mean in the diversity that's within Native America? Language diversity, cultural diversity, it's a really diverse place. And if we can recognize each kinship, I think that's something that's really important. And that's a terminology that I think a lot of times um, we don't use is the word kinship. Is like pre-European pre settlement, um, a lot of these ideas of society and culture in Native America were more like kinships. Um, and then post like in my own tribe, Cherokee Nation, um, that's really the use and adoption of nation um, is really looking at that sovereign, um, which is something pre, um, pre-settler, maybe that's not how it would look like, but post adopting language that could be understood. That is such a beautiful word, kinship. Um, and something that I'm going to bring to my classroom today. So 
Rebecca just gave you something that you can bring to the classroom right now, which I think is a beautiful thing and that you should do. So you touched on this before when you're talking about your daughter and what her experience of learning about herself in the classroom would be in middle school. What prompt, and I'm sure that's part of what prompted you to create and teach a class in Native American history and culture. Is there anything else that gave you that, that prompt that made you want to do this? Yeah, one of the, the big things is like when we went into um, our lockdown back in March, um, they did a survey of questions. Um, the school did a survey of questions. And, you know, whenever you have to do your ethnic, racial, or origin identifier, Native American was left off. Um, it was completely left off. And I think it's one of those, if you don't think you can see it, you don't think it exists. And that's something I think is really important in the classroom, even though you may not realize or know, you could have students in your classroom that are indigenous. They just don't advertise it um, because sometimes there's certain disconnects that we have been made to feel because the way we look and the way that people perceive the way we should look uh, might not match their, their vision, their stereotype. And that's something that um, we talk a lot about in class, because at my school, we started an indigenous coalition. And that's kind of one of the things that um, the students that belong to it talk a lot about is how sometimes it's difficult when their fellow classmates are questioning. Well, it's like, but you don't look at you look, you look white or you look, you know, I have a friend that he's like, I always get confused for being like Filipino <laughs> and um, he's Pueblo. And so it's kind of like people don't understand um, that piece of indigeneity. So what does your Native American history and culture class look like and feel like? So as a student, what am I experiencing there? Um, well, this year was kind of a trial year to see what it could be like. So one of the first things that I felt that was really important for the kids, um, we really kind of looked at those beginning concepts um, we really looked at the article 1491 that turned into a big book about that importance of that belief of how many natives were here before um, colonization and how that number, you know, how for a lot of historians, they use numbers like under a million, 1.9 million, even though we really truly believe those numbers were so much higher. Um, and what we do also know is there were thousands of kinships before um, Europeans came. Like, especially if you look at the maps, um, you know, there's a really big map out there where you can like put where you're located and you can see whose land you're on. I really highly suggest like using that for kids to understand. Um, and then they can see, especially on the coast, how many different kinships are there. Um, and so kind of stepping them through there and then the other things is like stepping them through some time of things that we don't realize. Another big piece that we talked about was the Pueblo revolt, that there was a revolution out in the Southwest against Europeans in, um, I'm trying to, I don't want to get the date wrong, but it was like early 1600s that predates, you know, the revolution that occurred where um, the Pueblo were able to oust the conquistadors, um, which is a really big celebration. Um, or Pocahontas, one of the big things um, that we did is we really looked at the real story of Pocahontas 
And, um, and really one of the big things is using uh, native publications like Indian Country Today. Um, I really wanted to bring in native voice and most of the people that we looked at, most things were written almost exclusively by indigenous people. Um, that was the big thing. And there are plenty of indigenous scholars out there. You can find their information. They are there. You shouldn't use other people who give you their opinion when there are the actual people that can tell you. So in talking about finding sources from people who are indigenous, that kind of leads me into my next question about decolonizing through the curriculum, because that sounds like one way that people can do it. What do you suggest to people to be able to decolonize their curriculum? I think there are a couple important things. The first thing is treating native people like they're extinct, like in that use of passive language, uh, making sure that you realize in present tense because native people are still here. Um, something I, I, like I will add to that is there was an interesting question posed by um, an indigenous journalist where she was talking about when people make claims of being related to these chiefs and leadership and a lot of, you know, these historic native figures, what a lot of people don't realize is their families are still here. Um, they, they know because they're still descended upon. And that was actually just yesterday. I saw that tweet where it was like addressing that issue because a lot of people do think of Native America as being extinct. Um, and one of the most important things is, I think, in decolonizing is the fact that there are Native peoples that you can highlight in your classrooms today and really think about Native people, especially post-1950 to present. How often are we telling Indigenous stories that are 1950 to present? And another thing that's really interesting is how much are we saying even 1900 to present? Are we addressing um, Indian boarding schools in our classroom? The program, you know, that happened, um, that was a U.S. program of kill the Indian, save the man, where children were removed from their families without consent and, and moved hundreds and thousands of miles away from their family. And that's a really important lesson, I think, for our children to understand um, U.S. policy, especially in the 20th century, because a lot of times most schools, we stop at the 19th century and we don't even look at U.S. policy in the 20th century. And I think that's a really great lesson in decolonizing. Absolutely. And U.S. policy is still affecting Native peoples today, right now. And I think that the history piece is, of course, important because it helps us understand how we got here. But part of talking about Native peoples is also talking about them in the present and what is happening with them and how they are a part of the United States and how the United States affects them and, and their land. Um, and it just it really can't be ignored. You cannot ignore that. It's a part of it's part of our lives. It's part of everyone's everyday life. Yeah, and I think to your point on that, um, a big a big thing that is being discussed if we look at Representative Deb Holland and um, her potential uh, her her p potential of being, 
with her nomination to the Department of Interior. Why is it important to have an indigenous person as Secretary of the Interior? Because many students don't realize the Department of Interior was really created for Indian management. It was, that is where the Bureau of Indian Affairs went to after it was a part of the Department of War. And a lot of people don't understand the Department of Interior is land management, but whose land were they managing? That's an incredible connection that we can make with our students. Do you have any resources to suggest for teachers who want to learn more? Um, I think one of the biggest things in resources is really get into um, native journalism. Um, Indian Country Today, I think, is really great. Um, it's also really interesting to see how they might cover. Like this past summer, the McGirt case was a really big Supreme Court case um, that sided with Native America, and especially the Muskogee Creek Nation in Oklahoma. And what was interesting was seeing the New York Times headline versus Indian Country Today headline. That is something that's a really great resource. There's a lot of really great people to follow, like on Twitter, um, Kim Tallbear, uh, Rebecca Nagel. She also has a really great podcast, This Land. Um, and that's a really, really great one. I'm a little partial to it. Um, and so there's a lot of really great resources in that regards. Illuminative. Illuminative is a really great one out there. They've been around for about a year or two. They're really big and um, they have some lesson plans too that they're rolling out and they're really trying to get um, Native American curriculum into the schools. And so I really highly suggest they have a really great do's and don'ts that I highly suggest for people to be like, how do you address um, your, your Native students in your classroom? Or how should you talk about things? They have really great infographics um, for you in your classroom in K through 12 curriculum. That's something that they're really working with, with NIEA. And so there's a lot of really great, um, the National Congress of American Indian has a lot of really great resources as well. But also look at the tribes that your schools are located on and go to their websites so that you can use their resources in your classroom or invite them. Invite them to come into your classroom. They can, like a lot of um, tribes are really great to Zoom with. Uh, last year, we invited um, a Cherokee Freedman and that's a piece of history that a lot of people don't understand, that don't know or are aware of as well is, um, Cherokee Freedmen, um, there's, you know, when we talk about the five tribes, there it's, you have that diversity as well. That is fantastic. And those are all really helpful. I can't wait to get to those. And um, for anything that Rebecca suggested that has, that has a link to it, I will make sure that I include it in the description of this podcast so that you can easily access it as well. So we're almost out of time. Rebecca, do you have anything that you want to share with us that I didn't ask or that's on your mind that you want everybody to know? Um, I think one of the biggest things um, to do and something that's really important, um, something that's really kind of coming up a lot is this idea of land acknowledgement in our classrooms. And that's something I've added to my syllabus. Um, in my syllabus, I do talk about it that where I live, that we're on occupied Caddo and Osage lands. And I specifically put occupied because that recognizes that the treaties that were made with the United States have never been fulfilled. 
So therefore, where I live today, I'm on the occupied lands of the Caddo and Osage Nation. Um, I think that's something to recognize um, whose lands are, are, you, are we on um, and how did they get acquired? Um, what does that mean to the tribe um, in, in those cases? So there's, there's, a, there's definitely a lot that can be discussed um, in this regards and there's a lot of homework. I'm still doing a lot of homework um, in this because I'm of one nation, but there are over 574 in the United States. And I think that's something that's really important to realize is the diversity of Native America, like Alaska Natives, um, Hawaii, you know, Native Hawaiians. It's a really diverse, a diverse place of indigeneity in the United States. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming and being my guest today. I learned a lot from you. And there are so many things that you said tonight that are actionable immediately or in the very near future. And I hope that the audience takes even a little bit of what you said and can include it in order to make their classrooms more equitable and to make our Native students seen and heard. Um, would you mind giving our audience a way to get in touch with you if they would like to? Yes. So if people are interested on Twitter, um, I'm at Lupker Mall and um, that's probably a good way. Uh, I, my DMs are open um, there. And yeah, I, I look forward to engaging. I look forward to learning from other people. Um, that's something I think is really important because I, some the other big thing I've learned in this process um, in the different places in which we live, what the, you know, especially in indigeneity, you know, whether it's the Northeast, Southeast, Southwest, Northwest, Alaska, Hawaii, um, the Midwest too, in the Plains, um, it's, it's a big scope and sequence and there's a, there's a lot to be learned. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. I appreciate you being here on the Teaching History Her Way podcast and audience, I appreciate you too. Thank you so much for coming and listening every week. And if you would like to get in touch with me in between episodes, you can find me on Twitter at History Her Way, or you can visit me on my website, www.teachinghistoryherway.com. Thank you so much again from the very bottom of my heart, and I will talk to you next week. Have a wonderful rest of your week.